I asked you all to sit down and I'm not ready to go yet, so. I think there are people here who don't know me, like New Wheaton students. My name is Roy Stiff. Uh, I actually live more overseas now than I live here, so I'm not here that often. Uh, we're in a series of uh, talking and about and learning about the different saints. It's, if I understand correctly, it is a two-year program. Um, if you look at the schedule, let's say that I'm going to speak about St. Paul, the Apostle Paul. That's not entirely true. So it would be better to say that I called up Matt last spring and said, Matt, remember where it says in scripture where Paul says, uh, I am compelled to preach the gospel. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I go, that's not me. Okay. That was my wife. She trust me. That was her calling. But I'm compelled to preach the word. And so I'm asking. I'm not waiting for you to ask me. Got tired of waiting. So uh, I'd really like to teach scripture. And so we talked about it, and Matt and Jennifer and others said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So um, we decided on the book of Colossians. Why Colossians? It's the one I know the best. Uh, easiest to prepare. So I'm hoping that these next three weeks, we obviously are not going to study the book of Colossians in just three weeks. It's simply not uh, uh, possible. But we're going to choose three subjects based on the book of Colossians. And the, last, and the last subject you get to choose, possibly at the end of this morning. So um, if you would indulge me to let me find my own PowerPoint uh, presentation, and then we'll pray and start. Hang on, almost there. Microsoft Office Outlook PowerPoint. Um, the reason I chose a long time ago to become uh, the book of Colossians, the book that I uh, really want to focus on, is that uh, it starts off with the supremacy of Christ. Excuse me, I apologize. This did not work the way I wanted it to. I do apologize. No, I think I'll just look here. Um, how many of you have read or listened to lectures or heard sermons based on the book of Colossians? Okay. As, um, if you want a summation of the book of Colossians, here it is. So we're going to speak on the book of Colossians, kind of. In other words, I'm going to pick some subjects. But here's the book of Colossians. Ephesians light. <laughs> Basically, that really doesn't do justice to the book because there is uh, a fair amount, for example, the passage we're going to look at this morning. Uh, and Mark or somebody, I think I'm just getting a hair feedback. Yeah. Uh, the passage we're going to look at this morning is not in the book of Colossians, but um, there is a lot where they overlap, and at the end of this book, you can actually see that he's talking about a letter to the Laodiceans, which some assume is actually talking about the letter to the Ephesians, and that they were supposed to be read together. He said, you read the book, the letter I sent them, and send this letter to them so they can read what I sent you. 
and that they, in a way, complement each other. If you're looking for an outline, uh, excuse me, if you're looking for a theme, uh, this comes out of uh, the NIV um, study Bible, the complete adequacy of Christ as contrasted with the emptiness of mere human philosophy and teaching. I would phrase it differently. As I've, and I've studied this book a great deal, is that to me, the theme of Colossians is practical Christian living based on the supremacy of Christ over human philosophy and human teaching. Because most of what Paul does is he talks, he gives commands as well as examples of how we should live. And that's why this book also uh, was attractive to me. The supremacy of Christ, everything he says about Jesus, and then he, how to live. If you're looking for an outline, this is Gerald Hawthorne's. He's a contributor to the NIV Study Bible. And this is, I simplified it because his outline was a couple pages. You have an introduction, the supremacy of Christ, then Paul's labor for the church, freedom from human regulation through life with Christ, rules for holy living, and final greetings and benediction. And you could spend probably two mornings on each point here, which is why obviously we can't go through the whole uh, book. Uh, John MacArthur, and I know some people are not fans of John MacArthur, but he's, he's worth reading. Um, he has a very simplified outline, and I uh, made it simpler. Just first is personal matters. Second is doctrinal instruction, much like Paul does in many of his books, in the book of Romans, in the book of Ephesians, uh, and then practical exhortations. Very, very common outline. If you look at his chapter divisions and verse divisions, I don't agree with it. Um, I'll take that pointer. Here we go. Thank you. Where's the button? The sunshine. The, uh, he has this thing here, false philosophy under the doctrinal instruction. If you look at, next slide, Mark. Um, I have the personal matters, that's obvious to everyone. And then the doctrinal instruction is simply about Christ's deity and Paul's ministry. And then next slide. And then the practical ex uh, exhortation I believe that it starts in chapter 2, verse 6. This will become very clear next week. I think uh, chapter 2, verse 6 is a key verse for the book of Colossians. And frankly, I think it's a key verse for all of us in our Christian life. And we will take next week to talk about Christian conduct based on uh, chapter 2, verse 6 through 4, about 14, 12 or 14, depending on how far we get. So that will be next week. I think Paul in that section really takes a lot of different issues about the practical Christian life and condenses them and makes them build one upon another. And I really hope next week will be uh, not just interesting, but very helpful for us all as we try to walk with Christ. And then here comes something interesting that you don't get uh, usually, is um, we have to decide for the third time, are we going to speak about Christian households Yes, husbands and wives. Or are we going to talk about Christian prayer? Now, with both of these in the book of Colossians, uh, these are very short verses. If we talk about Christian households, in other words, husbands and wives, we have to go to Ephesians. And if we talk about Christian prayer, all Paul says in Colossians is pray for us and be alert in prayer. And there's a whole lot more that we need to say. So let me talk a little bit about this, because at the end of our time this morning, I'd like to hear from you which one you'd like to hear about. In talking about Christian households, I'm afraid that we've divided ourselves into camps, egalitarian, complementarian, and by doing that, 
we're looking for arguments instead of looking for what God and Jesus are trying to say to us. And I would very much like to take us out of those camps and simply look at what scripture says. Now, this is a little unfortunate. My wife passed away and she would do this with me. It would take two weeks and I'd speak to the men and she, next week she'd speak to the women. She's not here. So you could call this, this is the talk where by the end of the talk, my goal is most of the men won't speak to me because they're so upset about the charge I've put to them and how uncomfortable they're gonna feel by the time they leave. So if you're interested in hearing not about women, although they obviously will have to say something, but if you want to hear very practically what I think or what Goshen and I thought, what does it mean for husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church? Well, then that's what we should talk about. Um, and I have to say that for the most part, uh, this subject is ignored. We're all arguing about wives. We should focus on husbands loving their wives. And I would love to do that with you. But if we want to talk about Christian prayer, we should do that too. Because it's easy to spend time in God's word. Well, maybe not easy. But it's easy to open your Bible and read. But prayer is hard. And the Christian life is nothing more than spending time with God. And for the most part, that means spending time with God in prayer. And we need to not just talk about it, but we need to do it. And I would love to spend that time with you talking about prayer, looking at passages Jesus said, thinking about, but what does that mean for us personally? What does that mean for us practically? And I can't think of anything truly more important is that we as a body come together and say, we want to pursue the Lord in prayer. We want to walk together in prayer. Now I do have to say that, I've, because Goshen and I spoke on this topic quite a bit overseas, that my talk and talking with husbands and maybe a little bit, not maybe, and a little bit to wives, that's finished. I'll probably be studying prayer for the rest of my life because it's a mystery. So there's a certain part that we would be exploring this together. Uh, so at the end of our time today, assuming there, there, I've left a few minutes, uh, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands. Both subjects are good, and I hope that uh, we can decide on one together. So before we get started in talking about the supremacy of Christ, I'd like to just stop and ask God to bless our time together. Let's pray. Father, everything truly in the Christian life in essence is a mystery because we cannot understand the incarnation. We cannot understand the Trinity. And you are beyond our thoughts. You are the one who created everything. And so, unless you open our minds to read your word and hear your word and understand it, we will be lost. So I ask your spirit who is with us this morning and dwelling us and here among us, I ask him to teach us that you would use my mouth, my lips to say your words and that you would help us all together to better honor and glorify Jesus Christ and take that knowledge and apply it to our lives. Be with us, Father, this morning, even as you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the supremacy of Christ. This is the passage we're going to look at, and allow me to read it. And he, Jesus obviously, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, were the things on earth or things in heaven. Next slide, Mark. So in talking about the supremacy of Christ, I want you to understand what our goal is. Many of you raised your hands when I asked, have you heard a lecture or a series of lectures or sermons on Colossians? And I'm not sure we need more head knowledge. Uh, I hope to share some things that might be new for you that might deepen your understanding, but you've probably heard some good talks about this. So if our goal is not head knowledge, what is it? Our goal is prayerful worship. <coughs> I decided, and I hope this is okay, I decided that we wouldn't simply talk, uh, my, mostly myself, but I do have a, a few questions. But towards the end, there are two separate times where we will stop and we will pray together and we will worship the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is. So my goal is not just understanding, but prayerful worship. Let's look at the first uh, verse and a half. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. So how many of you have been talking with someone and talking with maybe a Jehovah's Witness or a different uh, church, and there are problems with this verse? What kind of problems do you run up against? I see that hand back there, Joy. <laughs> He was a, so it uh, and especially the Jehovah's Witnesses, but not only, right. is that he was born, therefore he was created, and therefore the Trinity is not true. Anything else you've run into? Occasionally, you run into this whole image, this whole issue of image. Yes. Is he God, or is he just the image of God? I mean, is the Trinity true? If he's just the image of God, well, that's kind of a problem. So we need to discuss this, and in order to do it, I had to include, for by him all things were created. If we're to understand these two issues, the image and the firstborn of all creation, we need to understand, uh, we need to remember that by him all things were created. Hebrews 1.3, in the beginning, has a verse that is very similar. It says, and he, speaking again about Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. So before I say what I think how this relates, do any of you have any thoughts of how this verse might help explain image and firstborn, or at least image? What does this mean to you? He is the radiance of God's glory. I just need to take a sip of coffee. That's the only reason I'm asking the question. <laughs> any, any takers out there? Okay, yes, go ahead, Mark. Well, there's a greater connection, right? Like, how do you separate the radiance from the glory, right? It's, it's, 
So uh, this is for the recording. Mark's saying, how do you separate the radiance from the glory? That's a very good way of putting it. Another way of putting it is to say, God the Father is glorious, so much to the point that we and the angels cannot see him. Think of the passage in Isaiah uh, 6, excuse me, uh, 6, where the seraphim have six wings, and two of those wings are to cover their eyes, their faces, so that, so that they do not behold God on his throne. That's how glorious God is. Jesus is the radiance. In other words, it's all that glory, but coming to us in a form that we can see. It is all that glory. It is that glory radiating out. It is the radiance of that glory, but in a way that we could see. This is a very poor example, and we're going to talk about other poor examples this morning coming to the Trinity. But it's as if God is the sun. We cannot look at the sun. We'll burn our eyes. And yet, by that radiance that comes out, we can see the sun. We understand how it works. There's limitations to that example, I understand. But at least it gives us some kind of picture that Jesus is the radiance. He is the image of that glory, the radiance of that glory, but in a form that we can understand without dying. Let's look at another verse, John 1.18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. I need to take a little rabbit trail. My verses are all from the New American Standard Bible. I did check the English Standard uh, Version, which is in our pews and is considered and is, not just considered, is an excellent translation but both the NIV and the uh, ESV do not use the word begotten. And when I check the Greek, it seems to me begotten should stay in. So I, th they say the one and only. They say the only one and only God who is in the bosom of the Father. But when I check the Greek, this uh, verb in the Greek is the same verb. The root is the same is in, the, in, uh, in the King James in Matthew when it says Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob, etc., etc. So all these verses in my uh, PowerPoint are from the New American Standard. So what does this tell us about Jesus here? This is also a question for you. Any takers? What does this tell us about God in the Old Testament? Yes. That every, um, that prompted every appearance of God in the Old Testament, uh, people are actually seeing the pre-incarnate Christ. This verse would seem to, uh, let me just repeat it, that uh, the appearances of God in the Old Testament, and according to this verse, every appearance, are really the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, not all theologians agree with that, but this verse and others would seem to apply that Jesus is the one who reveals God the Father. Old Testament, New Testament, before the resurrection, after the resurrection, before the ascension, after the ascension, if it says God, and there's a phrase in the Old Testament, the angel of, of God, where angel doesn't mean created spiritual being, angel simply means messenger, which it does in scripture, the messenger of God, is that when it says the angel of God, we're talking about the pre-incarnate Christ. So when God appears to Abraham, it's the pre-incarnate Christ. When God appears to Moses, 
I think it's the pre-incarnate Christ, although that God, excuse me, not that God, but God says to Moses, you cannot see my glory. So maybe Moses had his face veiled. We're not sure exactly what, but Moses could not see the face of God. And whatever he saw, it was Jesus revealing God to him. This speaks to us. What do you want to know about God? You look to Jesus. He is the one who reveals God. He is the image of the invisible God. God is beyond our comprehension. He is beyond anything we can think or imagine. But God has revealed himself through the person of his son. So he is the image, the radiance, the exact representation. I, I really need some help from you this time. As you can see, I have up here the Trinity with nothing written down. So I need you to fill it in for me. What are some of the explanations of the Trinity that you've heard, that you remember? More coffee. Mark, we need more coffee for the people here. <laughs> D Jennifer, go ahead. Egg. Uh, the white, the yolk, and the shell. Okay. <laughs> so three, one. What's, what's the strength of that illustration? It's one, right? And what's the weakness? They're separate. We're in the Trinity. They're not three separate. There's a unity there that is beyond our comprehension, so it's truly one. Good example. What else have you heard? I'm going to call on you, Seth, if you don't raise your hand. What else have you heard? <laughs> Water. Okay, what's that? Right, so it's just one element. There's a good unity there, but it can reveal itself in, uh, depending on the circumstances in gas, solid, or liquid, if I got my physics right. What's the strength? I already said the strength. There's a one. That's, what's the weakness of that? So it's modalism. Is that, was that? Yes, exactly. And for those of us who may be not quite sure, it means, well, they can never be all of that at the same time. So <laughs> what other one? I'm looking for at least one more. Um, so I've heard it explained as sort of one God, but speaking through three like masks, which is very sketchy sounding. OK. I haven't heard that, so I'm not going to investigate that. <laughs> but it's, here's the thing. We're dealing with mysteries. So these just help us understand. Go ahead. I've never heard that. That's very intriguing. The triad, three notes, a chord that do not really resonate or make that music without all three of them together, but having an individuality. Anybody else? Um, there is one more I'm looking for. Thank you. Right. So the illustration, if you didn't hear, is that how a person, a man or a woman, doesn't make any difference, can at the same time be a son and a father, and help me out here, and what else? Husband. And a husband, thank you. And a husband. What's the strength of that illustration? They're all one person. It's all one person. What's the weakness? Yeah, there's not actually three. Exactly. Um, so all these illustrations help. I'm going to give you one that I don't think you've heard before, 
and I hope will help us understand this whole issue of firstborn and image. John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. This is very simple. The word, who is this? What is this? Louder. Jesus, thank you. Okay. Uh, where's the Holy Spirit here? Think. It's not written in scripture. You don't have a word without there you go, without breath. Very good. In fact, the breath is the, actually the power of the word. I can have all the words I want, and if I don't have the breath, they don't come forth, and they have absolutely no power. Now again, this is, this is I believe, is you have God the Father, the head. You have Jesus who, according to, to this, was in the very beginning with the Father, the term is actually not word, it's logos, which means more than just a word. It means the summation of all that God is and the expression of all, not just his thoughts, but also his heart and his feelings, okay? And this word was with God, existed with God before the creation of word, God, before the creation of the world, God the Father, and was indeed God himself. Now, John himself gets into the same thing talking about that the word, Jesus, was the means of creation. All things came into being by him, which is exactly what we read in uh, Colossians. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So let me tie this together for you. The Father, now I'm going to come back to this. Let me go here. There we go. Let's talk about creating all things. This, according to National Geographic, is a picture, a photograph, of our Milky Way. I don't know what National Geograph, uh, Geographic magazine is thinking, but we do, do not have satellites who get outside of our galaxy and get this far away to take a picture of the whole thing. This has got to be an artist's representation of our Milky Way. The interesting thing is, they're fairly sure it's accurate. I've seen several uh, things like this. Our sun is right about here. And the interesting part of this is that if our sun was in these dense part where there are all these stars, there is so much, uh, excuse me, there's so much cosmological activity and radiation that life would be impossible. And that by God's grace, it's not by chance. He chose a place that is actually far enough away from the center, which is a black hole, but also far enough away from these arms of these star clusters. Now the thing is, this is one galaxy. What are the estimates of how many stars are in our galaxy? Uh, billions and billions. Anyone have a number that they've heard? Okay, I, I looked it up, to, I've heard 100, but I looked it up to this morning and it said 200 billion, give or take 150 billion. <laughs> So they don't know, but rough estimates are somewhere between 100 billion to 200 billion stars in our one galaxy. This is a picture of the night sky, and all these numbers here are not stars, 
they're galaxies. How many galaxies are they estimating now are in our universe? 200 billion, exactly right. I don't know who said that, but that's, and now they're actually thinking more as they're doing, and this is now not telescopes, this is math and determining the amount of matter in the universe by the movements of the matter within the universe, okay? If you do 200 billion times 200 billion in terms of the number of stars in the universe, what you get is eyes glazing over and you're back in high school in algebra where it didn't make any sense whatsoever. There's no way in the world we can imagine it is four times 10 to the 20, whatever that means. We have no concept. Here's a speculation of mine. How did God create in Genesis chapter one? He spoke, let there be light and there was light. Let there be green grass, let there be fish in the sea, and it, and it happened. If indeed, and I actually studied physics at Brown University for two and a half years before computers claimed my heart. Must be something wrong with someone when they say computers claim their heart, but beside <laughs> that, um, I studied physics, and um, it is just phenomenal that, uh, this all came into being in a moment. The, the whole Big Bang Theory was in vogue in the 70s when I was in school, in vogue in the early 80s, fell out of vogue in the, uh, by scientists in the 80s, late 80s and the early 90s, which is a warning to us that don't believe science because their truth today is they're a thrown away theory tomorrow. But the Big Bang Theory is now very much back in and pretty much accepted by most astrophysicists. And imagine that all these stars, let's go back to the previous one, Mark. Imagine all these stars and imagine that this is a universe with four times 10 to the 20 stars. All that matter was spoken into existence in a moment when God determined. How big is your God? And it also speaks about the role of Jesus. We don't understand really what it means that he was the means, but it does have to do with he is the spoken word and brought the physical universe into experience, in, into existence. So going back here, this is how I would uh, go back a few slides, there it is. This is how I envision the Trinity, and there are limitations to this, and it's, this is me, don't write it down. The Father is the head, that's very clear. We could look at 1 Corinthians, where it talks about uh, uh, God the Father is head of God the Son. To whose will the Son and the Spirit submit? The Son is the logos, the word, the exact representation of the Father's nature, according to Hebrews 1.3, we looked at that the means of creation, and now this whole word begotten by the Father, is that it's my opinion that when God spoke the universe into experience, that Jesus came forth from God and was begotten by God. God did not change in his essence, God did not change in his nature, but there is now a new physical world and Jesus is the physical representation of God in the physical world. He is the exact image 
of that God and the only way we will know about God in this physical world. And he is the firstborn and that he came forth from God. Now, if you read almost any uh, theologian or commentator, they would say the firstborn simply means that the firstborn has preeminence. And all Paul is trying to say is that Jesus has preeminence. I would put to you that that is putting the cart before the horse, is that God didn't favor the firstborn because he just decided to. God asked and told the Israelites to give the firstborn a double inheritance as well as to commit all firstborn to him. They needed to be redeemed because the firstborn are reflections of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, not created, but simply came forth from God, begotten. Our most favorite verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came forth from God, and that's what I think firstborn means. I'm alone in this, so go with the rest of the theologians. They're probably better. So, uh, so those are the two biggest issues here in these first voice, uh, verses. Image, he is the exact representation. And firstborn, he did come forth from God, even as the word came forth, but was with God and is God himself. And this is the hardest part of this passage. Uh, next slide. So very quickly, I've already talked about it. Uh, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things together. Very quickly, Jesus not only was the means of creation for the whole physical world, he was the means of creation for the whole spiritual world, the whole angelic realm. That part of creation through which we see through a mirror or through a glass dimly. We don't understand it. It is here. It overlaps, intersects with our physical world. These terms here, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, they are understood by the church for centuries that these are ranks of angels, spiritual beings, different orders, different authorities, different powers. But Jesus was the means of creation for them all. And if I could just focus on one thing here, and then very quickly we're going to pray. Not only were all things created by him, but they were created for him. That he is the purpose, and he is the goal of creation. And this is where it gets personal. You have not only been created by him, but you have been created for him, to glorify him in whatever it is he's called you to do, whether it's a teacher, lawyer, uh, be at home, raise children, uh, uh, car mechanic, I said. <laughs> whatever he's called you to do, it is for him. And this should really grab our lives, that I've been brought into being for a purpose, to please him. And finally, there is so much that we don't know in physics. We still don't know about light because it's both a particle and a wave. So what is light? Is it a wave or a particle? It really can't be both, and yet it is. And there's so much we don't know in the sense of gravity. We have no understanding of why this would fall to the floor if I let it go. We don't know what causes that force. 
I've heard theologians speculate it's Jesus who's holding all things together. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's simply more we need to discover. But the rules and the principles of the ordered world were created by God through Jesus, and it is he who holds it all together. I would like to do this exercise. I'd like us to pray and praise Jesus. This is actually a psalm that calls on the created world to praise God. And so I'd like us, whether you sit or kneel, whatever it is, but I'd like you to turn now to the Lord and praise him for all that he has created. And I'd like us to read this psalm together. It'll be two slides, Mark, when we get there. But I don't want just head knowledge. I'm really after prayer for worship. So let's praise the Lord together. If you would say along with me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens, and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven, and he has lifted up a horn for his people. Praise for all his godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Very quickly, next slide. Colossians 1, 18 through 20, in the five minutes we have left. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, were the things on earth or things in heaven. Look at the words I highlighted, just to remind you of what you know. He's the head of this body. And there's a verse which explains, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Headship does mean leadership in scripture, but it also means the source of growth and the source of growing up in love. He is the beginning, the beginning of what? 
He is the firstborn of creation, but he is the beginning of the new creation. The new creation that will come down out of heaven as we read in Revelations 21 and 22. And we are part of that new creation. He's the firstborn from the dead. The guarantee that we also will rise from the dead with him. And he will have first place in everything. And that speaks to me about my life. Does he have first place in everything? It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. The fullness of what? We'll see that in Colossians chapter 2. Two, the fullness of all deity. That Jesus is God in the flesh. Fully God and fully man. And this is the most important thing. Remember what I said. Well, there, it's all important. But remember what I said about the absolute greatness and majesty of God and how large he is that our son is insignificant, and us in comparison to our son is insignificant. And yet he knows us. He knows how many hairs are on our head. And he reconciled us. We were far off, and he, the God who created all of this, these four times 10 to the 20 billion stars with who knows how many planets circling, the God that great and that powerful knows us intimately. And he drew us back to himself through his son, Jesus. He reconciled us to him so that now there is no condemnation. We have forgiveness through his son. For this reason, I'd like us to close in prayer once again. These are the four praises of Jesus in Revelations chapter 5. And I would ask that, again, we read these and not just read them, but pray them and pray them worshipfully. Are we there, Mark? Thank you. Worthy are you to take the book and break its seal, for you were slain and did purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Worthy are you, the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To you, Father, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I pray that you will take these thoughts about Jesus and who he is and who it is who indwells you by his spirit and that this week you would draw closer to him in prayer and worship. I'd say thank you, but I need to take a poll. Who would like to hear about prayer two weeks from now? Oh boy, don't, don't go 50-50 on me, please. <laughs> Who would like to hear about uh, marriage, husband, wives, I think prayer is good, boy, no one. Uh, apparently all your marriages are absolutely fantastic. So. We will talk, by God's grace, we will talk about prayer two weeks. Next week is Practical Christian Life, Colossians chapter 2 and 3. Thank you all so much. Thank you.